0: Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. You glad to be at church today? All right. Students, you awake? <laughs> They're maybe awake. So, um, Well, hey, if we haven't met, my name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as a senior pastor here at BT, and I have the privilege to take us into God's Word today as you Uh, saw in the video, we're at the halfway mark of our renovation generosity initiative. I'm going to talk about that more in just a second. But as we heard from Colin earlier, um, this was our annual student conference weekend called one weekend. And uh, again, what a powerful weekend it was. As you heard 400 participants, 40, 45 teenagers saying yes to Jesus, those nine that surrendered to ministry. And so, so thankful Uh, That we're a church that is mindful and thankful and pouring into the next generation. Uh, And so thankful for all those that help make that a reality for us. And so just join me in thanking Colin and our student ministry staff, Jenny and Isha. um, All of our dream teamers. Uh, So many people helped me. And and people that don't serve regularly in the student ministry showed up this weekend to help with registration and check-in. Um, they were making sure that you didn't get through the door. If you didn't have a bracelet, I was trying to walk in. They're stopping me. I'm like, I don't get a pass? Um, so uh, such such a powerful weekend. Uh, as we talk about celebrating what God uh, is doing in the life of our church, this is amazing. Check this out. We are seven weeks in to 2024. That's where we stand, seven weeks into 2024. And when you think of the students that gave their life to Jesus at one weekend, uh, we are looking at 123 people in seven weeks that have said yes to Jesus and gone from death to life. And, uh, we've also celebrated 35 people going public with their faith through Believer's Baptism. and uh, Actually, 36. We had a baptism last service. Uh, and we have some today as well. And then the joy of seeing the baby dedications um, sign of life. In a church, and so so much to be thankful for. God is on the move, and it is really uh, just amazing uh, the life change that we are getting to celebrate. So, uh, all that said, I do one more time want to welcome our VIP. So glad that you're with us in this room or online. If it's your first time, I hope that you are blessed by being with us in worship. And if you haven't done so, if you would text us at 970-97000, Type BT VIP, one word, no space respond to the prompts that you're sent, and one of our staff members will reach out this week to see if you have any questions about your time with us here at BT. So all that said, to kind of bring it back to the video we just saw, uh, we are at this halfway mark of this thing called renovation. Some of you, uh, you were here when we launched a year ago. Some of you are new since the launch. What it is, as you heard in the video, it's a two-year season of intentional focus on generosity. Uh, some of you that are new, you're like, great, I showed up on the day, he's talking about money. Um, woo-hoo! So, uh, right, the two, two best subjects for a preacher, money and sex, and so one day I'm going to preach on both in the same sermon, I'm really going to blow your mind, and so, <laughs> <laughs> we had packed house that day, so, uh, speaking of that, such a great hey, way, not it great to have a full house this morning, right? That's, a, that's awesome, so glad to see uh, packed out. Um, listen. Listen, you keep bringing your friends. You, you make us offer a third service on Sunday. You do that, okay? That's your job. We'll, we'll, we'll plan it and execute it. You make us, make us do it. So. Um, but yeah, so it, we are talking about generosity be, because it's part of our lives. Uh, I mean, it, it's part of our lives whether you believe in Jesus or not, right? Finances are part of our life. But, but for the follower of Jesus, we've been called to radical surrender. And the truth is we don't own anything. We manage what God has trusted us with. That's how it works, You say, no, not me, man. I've worked hard. How did you work hard? Where'd you get that brain? Where'd you get those skills? Where'd you get the resources for that, right? God has provided, and in his grace, he has entrusted resources to us to manage. And so a year ago, just in light of what God has been doing in our church, we said, we're gonna jump into two years of intentional generosity. And we set out the gate that our number one goal is that everyone who calls BT home will join us on the journey, and that hasn't changed. Our number one goal is that everyone who calls this place their home will join us on that journey. Uh, I, I, I know what one family at this church gives, and that's mine, okay? So I don't know what anybody's given to the church. Um, but I, I do know what's given over the course of a year, obviously. And if you were a part of our annual business meeting, uh, which like 40 of you were, and I get it, who wants to go to a business meeting? But if if you were there, you may have heard our, our CFO, Kevin Pagan, say this. He said that last year, we saw gifts to our church ranging in size from from just over 30 cents in one single gift to $125,000 in one single gift. And here's what I want to say. Both matter equally in the kingdom. Both matter equally. Just, and, and so it's, it's not about the, the, the amount. It's not that it's irrelevant or that it doesn't matter, but it's about the fact that God has our yes. And it's about the what we're giving in worship, right because it shouldn't be it shouldn't feel like you're paying your taxes to God. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver and, and, and what matters is the heart that is behind it right and, and that what we give represents our first and our best and so as we stand at the halfway mark and really what God has done in the last year has been amazing, but he's not done yet it, it, I don't know how I mean I don't know how he can. I, mean, I know how God cannot be done because he's God. But again, I talk about seven weeks, 123 people giving their life to Jesus. I'm like, what else, Lord? Like, what else are you going to do? This is amazing. But we're, we're kind of resetting today. We're starting a five-week sermon series called Renovation Remix. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about, again, what generosity means. But, but here's the good news. I, I feel pretty confident that when we get done today and when you go to lunch and you talk with your family, you're going to look at each other and you're going to say, that didn't really feel like it generosity sermon. That do not really feel like a, a money sermon because I don't think it's going to feel like one. Listen, those are coming, next four weeks come back, right? But at the end of the day, a subject like generosity, it, it really can't be understood or applied if we don't first look at the heart. See, the foundation for, for all things, including generosity, is what is the heart that's behind it and how is the heart responding to what God is doing? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I, I, I simply want to talk about five realities of the renovation work God does in us. Five where you say five points, you, you preach forever when you only have three points. Well, good news, football season's over. What are you going to go watch, right? So. No, I, I just want to I I quickly talk about five realities of the renovation work of Jesus in our hearts because that's the foundation of the renovation that happens in our finances and in our marriages and in our friendships and in our workplaces, right? That, that's the overflow of what Jesus is doing in our hearts. We will get to the practical side of all this starting next week and, and continuing on. And then the last thing before we jump to the text, also we do have some new resources for renovation. And so, uh, as you make your way out, uh, our Renovation Hub is back up. You can pick up a new booklet that will go in much greater detail uh, about what renovation is, because some of you, you may be new, and you will be joining us on the renovation journey for the next year. Uh, Some of you, you're going to finish strong. You've already made a commitment. And again, some of you, God may have increased your ability to give, and you're going to increase your commitment. But you can hit the Renovation Hub, pick up one of our booklets. You can look at the new commitment card. We'll be talking about the next few weeks, our Celebration Sunday. We'll talk about our Commitment Sunday and uh, all of those things. But again, today I want to talk about uh, what are the realities of renovation? What are the realities of what's happening inside of us as God is doing this work that only he can do? So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, Philippians was written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. Apostle is not his first name. Uh, Paul is his name. He uh, was what was called an apostle, a sent one of Jesus Um so you're probably aware of this, but I just, I want to start on ground zero. The Bible has 66 books in it, and those books are divided into two sections called the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? Well, in the New Testament, there are 27 books, and of those 27 books, Paul wrote 13 of them. So if you're ever playing Bible trivia, and the question is, who wrote this New Testament book? 13 out of 27 times, you're right, just going with Paul, okay? So just put that in your pocket for the next time you play Bible trivia, so, so he's a very influential figure, right? And so he writes this book or letter, actually, to the church in a city called Philippi. We know it as Philippians. Now, he loved the church at Philippi. He says so. We're about to see him. See, you know why he loved the church at Philippi? Because they gave him money, but I'm joking. <laughs> so I, I got to be careful. Some of us, we've been in churches and it's been like that, right? You know, they were partners in the gospel with him. but that, that's, that's not why he loved them so much. It was so much deeper than that. But but what's interesting is Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi from a very interesting place. He's writing this letter from prison. You see, Paul in his life had reached a point where he desperately wanted to go to Rome. It was the Roman Empire. He wanted to go to Rome to proclaim the gospel. If, you're, if you want to get the history of this, by the way, your homework for the week, read the book of Acts in the New Testament. Okay. If, if you're an overachiever, read the whole book. Right? 28 chapters. Uh, if you're an underachiever, pick up in chapter 15 and read through chapter 28 and then evaluate your decisions because you didn't read the whole book. But, but you get the story of what we call Paul's missionary journeys when he goes to all these places. So, so here's what happened. Paul really wanted to go to Rome. He's praying, God, I want to go to Rome. Will you let me get, get to Rome? Well, guess what? God let Paul get to Rome. And when he got there, he got arrested, right? Moral of the story, be more specific in your prayers, Right? I don't think that's what Paul envisioned, right? So Paul, by the way, he had already been imprisoned in a place called Caesarea for two years. So now he's getting to Rome, and he gets put under house arrest. So think of it this way. He he was forced to rent like an efficiency apartment on his own dime. He paid the rent, and it was guarded by a Roman soldier, and he wasn't allowed to leave. And so for two years, he's like, I want to go to Rome, and I want to preach the gospel. He gets to Rome, and he's locked up for two years. But you know what happened? His ministry to the church was so critical in those two years because he wrote this letter to the church at Philippi. He also wrote what we know as the book of Ephesians or the letter to the church at Ephesus. He also wrote what we know as Colossians or the letter to the church at Colossae. And he also wrote to, his, to, to, to Philemon, right? The little book there, Philemon. He, he wrote all of those while he was in prison in Rome for two years. And so what I want to do is looking at his... First few statements, I want to look at what, what's happening when God is doing a work in us like he was doing in Paul. What are, what are the realities of the renovation that God is accomplishing inside each of us? So this is what it says in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a basic introduction. I'm not going to spend time to break that down. He's saying, "Hey, it's Paul, it's my friend Timothy. We we greet everyone, church leaders. We greet all of you in the name of Jesus." Then in verse 3, he starts getting to the meat of the letter. He says, "I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer." What's he saying? I I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. What is he literally saying? He is saying every time I think of you, I thank God for you. Every time I think of you, I thank God for you. I mentioned this in our earlier service at nine a m and that nine a m service was actually broadcast to the other campuses, so All of BT is getting this message today. Most of the time, each campus has a live sermon from their campus pastor or a member of our teaching team, but a handful of times a year, there's a message that I want everyone to hear from me. And I said this at 9 a.m., and I'm going to say it again to you today. As Paul writes those words in Philippians 1, 3, and he says, every time I think of you, I thank God of you. I just want to take a moment to say this. Every time I think of you, I thank God for you. Uh, I, I've got some strengths, I've got some weaknesses. I probably don't say that often enough. But I want you to hear me for just a few moments today. Every time I think of you you say you don't even know me, you're part of the family. Every time I think of you, I thank God for you. I've been doing this thing called ministry for 23 years. I've served three phenomenal churches, and I am so thankful for the other two churches that I've served, that they are a critical part of my life story, no doubt. They're part of the trajectory that God has had me on. Uh, they're part of my development, and they will always be memories uh, that my wife and I will cherish. And this may sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I'm a flawed human with a limited vocabulary and, and limited way to express things. I'm thankful for, the, for all the churches, but I'm most thankful for this one. Partly because out of 23 years, 14 of them have been here, Okay. And there are people right now, and they're 100 miles away in Alice, and they're in Kingsville, and they're down the street in Edinburgh, and they're in Sherryland, and there are people watching online, and I'm not going to try to protect. I don't know everybody. But that doesn't mean that I don't thank God for everybody that calls this church home. And so I, I, I want to be more disciplined in 2024 to say that to you more often. But before I go any further, let me say this. Uh, there is no doubt that Paul loved the Philippian church. But when I get to heaven, I think I'm going to give him a run for his money as to who loved their church more. Okay, And so thank you for being such an amazing church to join in the mission that God has called us, but through the vision that he's given me to see South Texas and I believe the world transformed. And so uh, if you've been here the whole time, I'm in year 10, uh, and you're like, is it going to be 10 more? I don't know, but you should be thankful. Um, If you've been here since day one. Or if you're brand new today, uh, just know that it is one of the great, great privileges of my life to call this my church family and to know that in this season, God has entrusted this ministry to me. And so thank you uh, for being a church to me, like the Philippians were to Paul, that I can thank God every time I think about you. All right? Um, so what, what is Paul saying, though? <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. So <laughs> y'all are the best. So what is Paul saying? What, what 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 is he saying to this church as he's writing, remember from jail? And he says, Every time I think of you, I thank God for you, and in my thinking and thanking, I pray for you. But he says specifically, I pray with joy, right? What, what's, what's happening? Here, here's the first thing if you want to take some notes today. Here's the reality of the renovation of the heart that only God can do. And it, it looks like this. It's that difficulty can provide direction in our lives. You know, I wish I could get up here Sunday after Sunday and say, if you say yes to God, if you put money in the basket, if, if you give him a little bit of your time, man, every day's a Friday. It's roses and rainbows all the way out. But that's, that's just not life. In this life, you will have trouble. Those are the words of Jesus. He says, in this life, you will have trouble. But he also says, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And so following Jesus, the renovation of the heart isn't somehow breaking the code to figure out how to avoid difficulty. It's that knowing even in the midst of it, he's still directing our steps. It's knowing that as we go through the valley of shadows, he is still with us and not far off. One of the greatest realities of the renovation of the heart that God does is that even in difficulty, there can still be direction. Paul desperately wanted to go to Rome. I don't think he wanted to go to prison in Rome, right? I don't think that's what he was envisioning when he was praying to get to Rome. But here in a very difficult situation... Paul found direction, and what we ended up getting was some of the most powerful books of the New Testament. Colossians speaks to the preeminence, fancy word. What does it mean? That Jesus is first in everything. That's what Colossians reminds us. Jesus is first in everything. Ephesians, what does it remind us? That it is not by our own doing that that, that we get approval from God. That we don't have to be good enough because we can't be. But it is only by grace through faith that we are made whole in Jesus and that each of us to say yes to Jesus, we are his workmanship, his masterpiece. And he's got a plan and a purpose for us. These, these books that Paul wrote while in prison, they, they, they speak thousands of years later to the Christian faith. And so even in difficulty, the work that God was doing in Paul provided direction. But secondly, you can write this down, decisions, not conditions determine joy it's a renovation of the heart right there that's something altogether different than people who don't know jesus experience in life decisions and not conditions determine joy paul says when i think about you i thank god for you and then he says again in verse four always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer let me emphasize he didn't just say i'm praying for you but i'm in prison and so you know it kind of stinks being here He says, even though I'm in prison, I pray for you, I I thank God for you, but when I pray for you, I pray with joy. Now, I need to correct some statements that have often been said in the church, and because confession is a call of the believer, let me confess, I've even said these, okay? You know, in church, because sometimes we, we want to push back against what we would call like a prosperity-based gospel that says, you know, if you love God and you give money, then you're going to own a private jet one day. And, and that's that's renovation 2.0. That's our next generation. <laughs> I'm joking. But there's this this philosophy of teaching that says that, you know, if you... If you love God, and almost always it says, and you give me money, then you're going go, you know, to go to the best places, and you're never going to be sick, and all these things are going to happen. And so sometimes I think to push against that, uh, in other churches that, that I would say more faithfully are teaching the scriptures, we say things like this, you know, what you, this is what you got to know, beloved, joy and happiness are different things. You see, because joy, it comes from the Lord, and it's deep inside of you, but happiness, happiness is just based on circumstances. I have said that. But, but I've been doing some research. You know there's a funny thing? The Bible never says that. It is, in fact, that concept didn't become part of our theological, fancy word, theology, right? It's just thinking about God. That's all it means. That didn't become part of our theological mindset until the 20th century. Theologians for hundreds of years talked about being happy in the Lord. The Bible talks about happiness in the Old and the New Testament. The longest recorded teaching of Jesus in the whole Bible called the Sermon on the Mount. It's book of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And starting in chapter 5, it's called the Beatitudes. And it's qualities of a Jesus follower. And it goes like this, blessed are those who... Do this, for they will, blessed are those who mourn. That sounds weird, right? But blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. But that word blessed that we see in our Bibles, it actually means happy. Happy are the people that mourn, because they'll receive comfort. And so we've come up with this false tension, right, That, that joy is this thing. But the problem is when we separate joy, and like we understand what happy is, right? But when we, when we divorce those two, then we make joy and we make salvation kind of out there and not a part of our day-to-day living. We also say this in the church. Now, you got to let me unpack this one before you get upset, okay? We say this, you know, God, God's more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. Now, hold on. Just let me start with this. Also not in the Bible. Now, is God concerned about my holiness? You better believe it. Holiness literally means that, I, that I'm set apart. That's what it means. That, that I look different than the world, right? Absolutely, God is concerned. And, and my, my part, let me just unpack some quick theology, by the way. I don't become holy because I do really good things. I was made holy when I trusted Jesus. It's not something I'm trying to attain because I can't do it on my own. No, I was made holy Not by my work, but his work. And because he made me holy, then I am to seek a life that reflects that, right? And God is concerned. That process, fancy word, is sanctification. Ooh, right? Sanctification. All it means is I'm trying to look like Jesus, and there listen in my pursuit to look like Jesus there are times that my heart desires something that doesn't match his word and when that happens yes i have to put my desire underneath the word of god i have to submit and surrender and i need my desires to be recalibrated to match his desires absolutely but just because god is recalibrating my desires doesn't mean that he is opposed to my happiness and here's what we should be saying. When I pursue holiness, guess what? I'll be the most happy. If you said yes to Jesus and you have the gift of Jesus in your heart, then seeking him and following him should not make you miserable. Are there, are there seasons of sacrifice where you, you, you put some desires to death? Absolutely. But here's the deal. It is decisions, not conditions that determine the joy that we live with. Paul writes from jail, and he says, I pray with joy. I got happy prayers. Because I'm in prison, probably not why he was happy. I'm just going to take a stab at that one. No, he wasn't happy about being locked up. But he, he still had happiness and joy in the fact that Jesus had saved him and had radically transformed his life. Paul says, I pray always for you with joy. And so we can say that our decisions and not our conditions determine the joy with which we live. And if you're not sure, you're like, I think I disagree with you. Okay, let me just offer one more thing. If you're like, no, I think happiness is circumstantial. Okay, okay. How about this? Here's a circumstance for you. Before you said yes to Jesus, you were dead in your sin with no hope and no life. But Jesus, God in the flesh, stepped out of heaven and came to earth, and he resisted every kind of temptation, and he lived without sin, and then he died on the cross, and he made payment for sin. And we got to get this right. You know why he had to pay for sin? Because you and I are guilty. See, if we weren't guilty, there wouldn't have to be the payment. So he makes payment for sin because we're guilty, and in his payment, our guilt, it's not that it's not there, but it's removed. So payment is made, but then three days later, he rises from the dead. He comes back to life and walks out of the tomb in victory so that we have both payment for sin and power over sin. You know what that is? That could, that's a circumstance. How about that's the circumstance we build our happiness on, right? If happiness is only circumstantial, well, there's a circumstance that can tell you that it doesn't have to be an up-and-down reality. It is decisions. And I'm not saying this is always easy, by the way, beloved. Don't get me wrong. It's not always easy to die to myself. It's not always easy to have my desires recalibrated. Absolutely. I mean, they're my desires, right? But his are better. And I look at the track record of his faithfulness, and I know that, that, that he's always faithful and just. And so in my pursuit of Jesus, contrary to what the church says sometimes, I don't have to anticipate like the worst experience ever, but in my pursuit of Jesus, I can anticipate the fact that I will have joy everlasting, that I can actually follow Jesus and be happy. I think the problem with the church's witness today isn't the amount of Christians that are happy, it's the amount of Christians that are unhappy with their lives. And people at work would look at their Christian coworkers like, why would I go to church? You're more miserable than I am. I mean, let's let's give a better witness, right? I mean, let's believe that there is joy in the. We just saying there's joy in the house of the Lord, right? It doesn't stay here when we leave, guys. It goes with us. So decisions, decisions, and not conditions determine joy. That's a reality of the renovation of the heart. Paul would go on in chapter three of Philippians to say, "Rejoice in the Lord," and in chapter four, verse four, he would say, "Rejoice always." Again, I say, rejoice. Paul Paul is calling us to be people of party, (laughs) to be people of joy, right? But that's only a reality because of the renovation that God's doing in us. I joked earlier, right? Talk about money. People get upset. You know, that's also a decision. Listen, I always want to preach with as much grace and love as possible. Sometimes, well, always there should be truth in that. Here's the reality. One of the reasons I'm convinced that people get upset when the church talks about money it is because they know they're not honoring God with their money, right? That's one of the reasons. But that's a decision that can be made. That's a decision. You say, "Well, I, I'm, my finances are such a wreck, and I've I've been not worshiping God through the tithe." My whole I, my. listen. God's more concerned about your today and your tomorrow than your yesterday. That's why we're doing a renovation remix, by the way. Because for some people, it's going to be about finishing strong. For some people, it's going to be about joining us on the journey. And for some people, it's going to be about, hey, I started and I fell off the wagon, but I'm getting back on. I'm going to be faithful to what God has called me to. Third thing, the renovation of the heart, one of the realities, is what I would call the power of partnership. The power of partnership. Paul says this in verse 5. He, he has said, I thank God for you. I pray for you with joy. Why? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now listen, joking aside, part of that partnership was the fact that the Philippian church were financially contributing to his ministry. Absolutely. That is part of it. There's, there's no getting around that. But, but I think it wasn't simply that they were financially contributing. What's happening is that Paul is saying that when it comes to the Philippian believers, he doesn't have a surface-level friendship. That word partnership, it is, it is something deep and, and meaningful. Listen, all of us have surface-level friendships, and I don't say that negatively, right? But, but surface-level friendships, what are they built on? They're built on time and interest. That's what's built on, right? If you and I spend a little bit of time together and we happen to share some common interests, we have something to talk about, right? Just pass each other in the hall at church, see each other at H-E-B, whatever it is. All it takes is a little bit of time and some common interests. But that's not a deep gospel partnership. Those aren't the deep friendships that we're called to in the faith. When Paul says, I thank God for you, when I think about you, I pray for you with joy, and he says, you know why? Because you have been a deep friend to me you've been a partner from the first day until now that's not built on simply time and interest that's built on mission and suffering you see how good God is he takes our pain and he uses it to build deeper friendships he says you you, you didn't just kind of like it when I came through by the way 12 years before writing this letter Paul started the church at Philippi right he's saying you didn't just kind of show up when I was there and then leave when I when I had to leave and go start other churches he didn't say you just you didn't just share some interests with me. He says you shared a mission with me. You shared a partnership that you gave all of yourself to. Your finances, your resources, your prayer, your time, your energy, but not just that you were with me in my suffering. That's why community groups are so important. That's why there's this call to come together, right? So listen, there are certain things that can happen in it, whether you, you join a CG at our church or you show up to a class on Wednesday night or, or, or you just you, you get some fellow Christian brothers or sisters on your own for coffee, but there's something that can happen in those settings that cannot happen with 900 plus people in a room. It just doesn't work that way, right? And so we're called to, 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 to build deep, meaningful relationships. Yes, part of that will be time and interest, But it's so much deeper. It's mission and it's suffering. Part of the renovation, part of the reality of renovation is that God gives us the capacity to have these types of relationships. Listen, when when we as a church talk about what God is doing, we talk about 123 people in seven weeks. You add that on last year, you add that to last year, that's, that's 600 people in 14 months that have said yes to Jesus that's 336 people in 14 months that have entered the waters of our baptistries. That's over 500 first-time givers to the ministry of BT. That's the highest giving 14 months in the history of our church, and that's the most we've ever sent to missions in 14 months. That's 35% growth in person. These are amazing things, but you know why those things happen? You know why all those things happen? Because we're sharing a mission together, right? Right? I pray part of the read, listen, you show up week after week, and I hope you do you know why? because I'm such a good preacher <laughs> but but also, but also, because I hope you're building some deep connection i it, joking aside, you may think our worship's great and the preaching's whatever, you're wrong. Uh, the worship is great, by the way, but so is the preaching. You, you may think that the, the experience, right, you may think the experience is great, and it is, but if you don't build a deep connection, when life punches you in the face, you're gonna be out the door. I've done this too long to be proven wrong. Great worship and great preaching and great kids' ministry, we got the best, great student ministry, one weekend is evidence, great young adults, those, I'm thankful for all of them, they, they help people get connected, but they don't help people stay connected. It's deep relationships. It's partnership and the power of Christian community that keeps us. Because when life punches in the face, we need some people to come around us. Not because they've shared some time and interest with us, but because they're on the same mission. The mission of seeing that renovation work completed in us. That They're, they're sharing in our sufferings with us. Number four. Another reality The renovation work of God is confidence in completion. Confidence in completion. Verse 6, Paul says this. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Again, put it all together. Every time I think about you, I thank God for you. I pray for you with great joy. Why do I do that? Because you have been a partner. You have been deeply connected to me from the first day until now. And because of that, I'm convinced of this, that he who began the good work in you will see it to completion, the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, the number of people in this room in overflow, watching online, the number of people listening to me right now, we don't all have it all together, right? There are some people right now, and the enemy, the devil, he is telling you, you, why are you even in this room? Why are you even watching right now? Your life is such a wreck, he's not talking to you. Your life is a mess. Your kids are a mess, your finance, your marriage. You are a mess. You don't belong here. You, 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 need, to, you need to find somewhere else to go, right? And for some of, some of us that maybe are thinking that, maybe for some of us, we have not yet said yes to Jesus. I'm going to get to that in a minute but some of us, we know there was that moment in our lives as a child, as a teenager, a college student, at some point in time, we know there was that moment that we responded to the gospel, but then life just got off course. And what the enemy is telling you, you've, you've made so many mistakes, you've missed so many spiritual markers, you've been so detached from the work of God that you are now outside of what he wants to do. But here's the news flash what the Bible tells us in Philippians 1.6 is that you didn't start the work, he started it. He started it and he completes it. The question is, will, will we walk with him in the journey? Everybody who says yes to Jesus, Jesus completes the work to get them to heaven. But between the day of the confession of faith, where we say yes to Jesus, and the day that we take our last breath, what does it look like? So I say that for a couple reasons. One, if that's you, if you fall in that category, like, man, my life is a wreck. I don't know if God can use me. Listen, what he started, he'll finish. And that doesn't mean you kind of step back and go, oh, well, it's all up to him, so I'm cool, right? No, if, if he's made that kind of commitment, why would we not want to lean into it, right? Why would we not want to say, God, you know what, I am. I'm going to show up on Sunday. I'm going to make it a commitment. My family, we're, going to be, we're going to commit on Sundays, be a part of the worship service. We're, we're going to get our kids engaged in the ministries. We're going to find a place to serve. We're going to, we're going to respond with our resources. We're going to do these things, not because we think the doing of these things keeps us on your good side, but because you have forever put us on your good side through Jesus, and I want to lean into that. He says, he who began it will complete it. And so, beloved, if you feel like your life is a wreck, then get back on the rock of Jesus and see what he does. Turn your heart back to him and see what he does through the renovation of the rest of your life. But here's the reality, right? Because we are talking about this specific thing at our church called the Ren- Renovation Initiative. And, and here's where this, this is beyond my comprehension, right? I'm just, I'm just a dude from Alice, right? I got, li- I got limited comprehension here. Because the, the real depth of what Paul is saying is that he who's began that work in us is going to complete it. But listen, listen. so, so this, this two-year initiative that we're talking about at our church, right? Well, if God is in me and God is in you and he's working things together, then would, would renovation not fall into the category of things that he's going to complete? And so let me just confess real quick. There are times... When when I look at renovation, because listen, while our primary goal is absolutely engagement, that everyone who calls BT home would join us in the journey, some of you are aware, and if you're not, pick up the book and read about it. We have a secondary goal. We've just said, based on our church and the number of people that are a part of our church, we think that if everyone goes all in, if we all commit, we think that in two years we could see $13 million given to the church. Some of you are like, wow, that's a lot of money. Maybe some of you are thinking, that's not enough. We should have a higher goal. Wh- wherever you're at, there is a second part to it. And, and that second part represents the kind of day-to-day realities, right? It's, it's how we meet our operating budget. But, but beyond that, it's, it's how we, we renovated the student building and the student pavilion, right? The last night was students playing basketball and, and on inflatables. That was, that was the dream with the student pavilion, right? That, that, that's been completed. The Kingsville campus has been kicked off, and we were seeing literally exponential growth. We've been given a complete open door at Texas A&M University, Kingsville. The president of the university said, I want y'all on campus. Come on. We, so we have complete access. <laughs> Athletic team, student body, right? We, we continue to see Alice just like grow, grow like crazy. We, we bought the Sherryland building, and, and we want to reduce. We, well, listen, listen. We, we want to pay that thing off, right? I mean, Reducing is part of it, but we, we, we want to pay it off. But but we still have some things we want to do, right? We want want God to direct our steps to that long-term home for our Edinburgh campus. And we want to continue to give more and more to missions. And beyond that, we want to keep doing new things here in South Texas, right? And so there are times that I look at, right? So there's the 100% engagement. Just stay with me for a second. And there are times I look at what we want to do. And there are times that I think, well, the the only way we can do these things, God, is if we meet that secondary goal. All these things require resources. And I'll just be candid, right? I, I said earlier, I don't, I don't know what any family besides mine gives to the church, but, but I do get a report of, like, you know, the offering. Is just, it's something that I should be aware of, right? And sometimes there are weeks or there are months, and the offering from the week or the month, like, it just wasn't that great. It's like, oh we're not. And then, like, the next week or month is amazing, right? I tell people, if you're, if you're EKG of your heart, Ever looks like the giving trend of a church? Find a cardiologist, all right? <laughs> so, so let me make sense of this, because there are times. There are times when I look at renovation, and not just the next year, but beyond that. It's not like we, we think that, you know, April of 2025, we celebrate 40 years as a church, we bring renovation to a close, and we, we, we kind of wrap up shop and we're done. No, there's much more to do. And there are times in my humanity and in my my human mind that I I look at the resources required to do what we want to do that we've planned to do, but that we want to do that we haven't planned to do. And I think the only way this can get done is with the money. But here's this thing. If God has promised to complete the work he started, then guess what he's going to do with renovation? He's going to complete it. With or without us. God's intent to take the gospel across South Texas and the world, he will do. The reason why we're doing renovation is because we want to be a part of it. And so let, let me, i know that's kind of like some heady stuff. Let me try to wrap that up, beloved. Here's the deal. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, if you feel like you've been off, you know, you've been maybe not as faithful as you should be, don't turn a blind eye to that and take some steps to correct that. But understand God's approval of you if you said yes to Jesus is not based on your performance. It's based on Jesus's. He began that work in you. He saved you from your sin. He died on the cross and he rose again. And if you will turn your heart's affection back to him, you will see him complete everything that he intends to do in your life. Not just when you get to heaven, but before then. Amen? So there's confidence in completion. And the number five, last point is this, the most overwhelming reality of renovation is quite simply the gift of grace. It's the gift of grace. Philippians chapter 1 verse 7, Paul writes this, Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart, and you all are partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, it is right for me to feel this way about you. And he says, this is my prayer that because of the overwhelming amazing grace of God in your life you'll be able to identify what is superior right you you won't think that your retirement account your 401k your your house your family your dreams and aspirations those are not evil things by the way but they're not superior th- th- those are gifts the giver is superior and Paul says, I think this way and I pray this for you, that you'll, you'll grow in love, he says, right? You want to live with joy, lead with love. He says that as your love increase, your knowledge increases, you'll be able to, to, to discern and to approve what is superior. You'll be able to know what is worth your affection and your time and what should have first importance in your life and the, the whole reason that's something that we can attain, the whole reason we can actually have the spiritual discernment to know what we should be giving our lives to is simply because of the amazing grace of God. That while we were still sinners, Paul says to the church at Rome, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Not once we got it figured out, not after we started doing good works, not after we proved that we were worth it, but while we were still sinners, God demonstrates his own love for us. That Christ Jesus died for sinners. He died to make us whole. The overwhelming, unending, completely amazing grace of God. There's a well-known theologian, A.W. Tozer. He's already died, gone on to be with the Lord. A.W. Tozer said this. He said the people of God should be the happiest people in the world. You catch that? Not the, not the most joyful. Same thing, by the way, Right? That the people of God should be the happiest people in the world. And they should be consistently asked by others, What is the source of your delight? Beloved, if you said yes to Jesus, you have the amazing grace of God. It doesn't mean every day is a Friday. It doesn't mean you don't don't go through the dark night of the soul and walk through the valley of shadows. It doesn't mean that sometimes you don't get your desires and your desires get recalibrated to match God's. But it does mean that any time and all the time, he is with you and he is for you. And that grace doesn't come and go. It has been applied to your life in permanence. And so I know that that can be kind of theoretical, but, but how does that kind of make its way down to my daily living? How do you approach the renovation initiative and say, yeah, I want to go all in? I want to be generous with my resources. How do you get through the struggles that you're dealing with? How do you get through the next trial you're going to face? You know what Paul is saying in essence in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11? You keep the gospel near. You keep the fact that Jesus saved you from your sin and gave you life. You keep it in your heart. You keep it in your head and you keep it on your lips, and you say it to yourself when you feel like you're not worthy and you're not good enough and you've been cast aside because of all your mistakes, you say, no, Jesus died for me. Jesus rose again and gave me life. When you feel that you can't be used, you've got too much baggage, you say, no, God has called me to a purpose. Because this is what I promise you, beloved. Whether it's the renovation initiative or any other part of your life, If you will keep the gospel in your heart and in your mind and in your mouth, you will live with joy. I'll say it this way. When the the gospel is prominent, right? Catch that? When the gospel is prominent in your thoughts and your affections and your words, when the gospel is prominent, happiness is imminent when you remind yourself of what Jesus has done on your behalf, happiness is a guarantee. It's the reality of renovation, that he's still working on us. He hasn't forgotten us. In all of our mistakes, he hadn't left us. That he is for us and not against us. And what a reality it is that a holy God would step into my mess of life and call me his own. That's the foundation. That's the launch point that I even begin to think about generosity and how I give. It's simply a response I give because God so loved the world, he gave. And he gave his best in his son Jesus. And through that, I've been given life and life to the fullest. And so let me give you a few things to think about as we wrap up today. Let me give you some things to think about, maybe how this could become action for you. Obviously, as we are in the renovation remix, let me just say, what is your role in renovation with us as a church? That may be how God is going to continue his renovation work in you. There's, you're, you're brand new to the church and you want to join us. Amen. We welcome you on the journey. You, you're going to finish strong. You committed last year and you're staying faithful. You're going to increase. You you're committed, you fell off, you're getting back on, but what is your role? Again, the goal is, is engagement, right? But, but not just what's your role in, in our renovation initiative, but what is the next step in your story of renovation? What's your next step? Maybe you've said yes to Jesus and you know you got that squared away, but for some reason you haven't been baptized yet. Maybe there's a relationship you know he's calling you to walk away from, Right? Maybe there's a step of obedience you need to take. Maybe you need to get more committed to church and you need to maybe become a member here at BT. Or you want to join a community group or show up on Wednesday night for our discipleship classes. What is the next step in your story? Another thing to think about, what are the decisions you need to make based on the conditions of your life today? Are you letting your conditions determine the joy that you live with or are you letting Jesus determine it? What are the conditions? And then here's the last thing. Would you ask yourself this question? Have you opened up your heart to the work that Jesus wants to do in your life? I'm convinced of this. The Bible teaches us that we are not made right before God. We are not given eternal life. We are not called his sons and daughters based on our works. It's not because we got really faithful at church. It's not because we were baptized as an adult or an infant. It's not because we said all the right prayers. The Bible's crystal clear and it tells us this, that if anyone believes in their heart, believes what? That they need a savior, that they need someone outside of themselves to give them hope and a future. If anyone believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, they will be saved. And so today, if you haven't made that decision, today can be your day. In just a moment, we're going to close with some worship. We'll have some baptisms. We'll have our prayer team here at the front. If you want to Come forward and have someone pray with you and over you. The Bible says that we get to bear one another's burdens. But before we worship, let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And today, if there's someone in this room and you're not sure where you stand with Jesus, you're not sure if you've said yes to the gift of salvation, you're not sure if you've received his amazing grace, then I invite you to say this prayer with me. It's not a magic formula because there's no such thing. The prayer is simply a confession. It's a confession that you need Jesus and that you're giving your life to Him today. So if that's you, pray this with me. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm lost without you. But I believe that you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son Jesus. I believe he left heaven and came to earth. I believe he lived without sin. I believe he died on the cross and paid for sin. And I believe three days later he rose again and defeated sin and death. And so Jesus, I trust you with my life. And I receive the gift of salvation. Thank you for loving me first. It's in your name that I pray.